It is a joy to be with you today. Um, definitely um, always feels like family at Evergreen, but for those of us, it's been several years since I have been here, so I'm not assuming that we all know each other. Um, I uh, worked for your former pastors, Jared and Ann, starting at age 22, which was not five years ago, even though looking at me, you might think that. Um, that was in Los Angeles, and that was, I was their, ki their kid's youth pastor, so we have a long, long history. And then I have a long history with Carlos and Ilse, and we were trying to calculate, it's like 15 or 20 years that I've known Ilse, and so as you can tell, there are very few degrees of separation, and it's a joy for me to get to see part of this in chapter 32, what you guys are experiencing in your life here. The other reason that I'm honored it's a little more sobering when you're allowed to step into a moment of grief with the community. It's an incredible honor, and I'm, I'm carrying that tenderly this morning that all of us, even if you don't know the families affected and those that are very, very close, we're all carrying that grief this morning. And I just thank you for allowing me to be with you and to step into that place this morning. Um, I wanted to give just a word of background. Um, this message that I'm going to share with you, this talk, uh, comes out of some personal promises that God was speaking to me as we were able to step away from our life for a couple of weeks, Rick and I. By the way, Rick sends his greetings. He's preaching at Evergreen this morning. I mean, at, I'm preaching at Evergreen. I'm clear on that. Rick is preaching in Battleground this morning. Um, and uh, we had never left our kids for two weeks, and uh, we went on this trip that's probably like a once-in-a-lifetime 20th anniversary trip. But the background, because I'm going to share a little bit from that that you, that you need to know, is that we've walked through what was easily, I would easily describe as the two toughest years of our life together and probably our whole lives. And so we hold that joy and that sorrow together as all of us do this morning. And I'm so grateful to get, to get to talk with you. Well, when I got back, I got back ahead of Rick, and there was lots of things to do. And this was just this month. And um, my kids are now 11, 15, and 17. For those of you who taught Sunday school, they were all at a different youth camp. But camp was incredible for them this summer. Anyways, I got back, and Noah, my 11-year-old, had something on his mind that was urgent to him. I thought getting groceries was, was urgent. I also thought getting the house clean was urgent. Noah's most urgent task was that he needed to go to the library because it is an anxiety-inducing crisis to not have something to read. And you, can, it, I know it's not everybody, but does anyone in this room identify with that? Like, you gotta have a book. And so, you know, he asked me several times throughout the day, and it was after five o'clock when we actually made it to the library. Luckily, they were still open, and there was a book that he had requested uh, probably three weeks before that was on the hold shelf, and he got another one. And we got back in the car, and he's sitting next to me, and I hear this sigh. <sighs> and I'm like, yeah, you, you happy? And he goes, I love the feeling of starting a new book. And he says, you know, sometimes it doesn't turn out exactly the way you want it to, but it's so exciting when you're just starting. And I thought, wisdom from an 11-year-old, because sometimes I just want to hold on to the last chapter. I want to hold on to the book before, not return it to the library, try to read it again and again and again. And it might be time to start a new chapter 
and to experience the joy of starting something new. And that's the promise I want to talk to you about today, the promise of a new chapter. Of course, I want to start with scripture. We're going to be reading from Isaiah 43, but I want to give you a little context since we're dropping right into this scripture. Isaiah is a prophet before Christ, and he is speaking, his audience in this particular chapter, he wrote in advance, but his audience are people that have lost everything. The Jewish people had been taken into exile in Babylon, and in 586 BC, 586 years before Christ, their temple, which was their pride and joy, the center of their culture, the center of their religion, even their politics, was destroyed. So he's talking to people who are living through what I would call, quote unquote, an unprecedented time. Do you get sick of that term in the last two years? <laughs> an unprecedented time? But this was a time that the parents and the grandparents couldn't have foreseen. They didn't think it could happen. They didn't think God would allow it to happen, that they would endure this much loss. They lost their political clout entirely. They were at the mercy of other nations. They lost the center of their worship and religion, and they didn't know how to move forward. Their kids were being raised in a godless culture. Everything was grief and disorientation. And it's into that context Isaiah is speaking. I also want us to imagine that that was the national context, but the personal context was every family would have lost loved ones. Every family lost houses and businesses and way of life. And so we can hardly wrap our minds around that, but we've all experienced losses, especially in the past couple years. And so I want to read this chapter because I think it'll speak to us. Isaiah 43. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. I love that word, listen. Gets our attention. The Lord who created you, O Israel, the one who formed you, says, do not be afraid, for I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through Rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames won't consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. But forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. I have made Israel for myself, and they will honor me before the whole world. You are chosen. I have called you by name, and you are mine. So on this anniversary trip to Europe that we just took, we saw some wonders of the ancient world, and they were just as impressive as I hoped they would be. We saw the Colosseum, we saw the Parthenon, we saw the city of Ephesus. And in that, it brought history into 3D in a way that, you know, when you see something, whether it be something in the United States or whatever, when you see it, you start to get the texture and the context of the time. And one thing that occurred to me was in the same century that Israel lost their temple, the Greeks and um, the Ephesians, who were a mixture of Greeks and Persians, were rising to the height of their power and their influence in building these wonders of the ancient world. The Parthenon was built in the same century. The Temple to Artemis, which was a wonder of the ancient world, was built in the same century. Why is that important? 
Well, because God is saying to these people that have lost everything, you're chosen. And I don't know about you, but I have a really much easier time believing I'm chosen when things are going well in my life. And there are external markers of success. I'm meeting my goals. I look beautiful to the outside world. Things are going my way. I have lots to post on social media. Then I feel like I could be chosen by God. But when I feel like other people are succeeding and I'm left behind, that's not when I feel chosen. That's when I start to wonder, has God forgotten about me too? What's going on? And I'm wondering if maybe it is hard for us to understand the word chosen to mean what God really means. He means something different than we mean when we say chosen because it's not about just affirming external successes. It's about something much, much deeper than that. And so if we dig into this passage, we're going to recognize that God's talking about a principle that's not the way that we think of choosing. And the scriptures are going to challenge us to rethink the way we exegete or interpret our lives. Because I have a tendency when things go wrong to think that maybe God's distancing himself from me. In the ancient world, they would call that being cursed. And for, in the ancient world, when you lost your temple, it meant you lost your God. He didn't care about you anymore because you had no external marker that he was with you. And we, I'm wondering if maybe you, in your moments of biggest challenge, when you've lost a loved one, or you've lost a business, or you've lost your job, or a relationship that was really important to you, do you have that moment where you don't feel special, you don't feel like you're walking in the light, and you wonder, has God also distanced himself from me? And we might, we don't usually use the word cursed in our modern day, but that's kind of the idea that we might think about. Sometimes those old words carry with it a big feelings that we feel in difficult times. But I'm wondering if we really believed in our bones the truth that God has chosen you as a beloved child of God, that God has chosen me as a beloved child of God, how would we then look at hard times? I think we might look at them like Isaiah does. It might go something like this. Are you drowning? Are you flooded with grief and having a hard time catching your breath? God's the next breath that's carrying you through. Are you burned out, burned up, and life is just so hot? God is the one that's carrying you through this fire. Do you find yourself stuck at a dead end? God is the way forward, the next steps that you're going to take. Because when we know that we are the beloved and chosen of God, even when we find ourselves in the deepest, darkest situations, it's there that we discover how close he really is. And it's there that we discover that broken places are an opportunity for healing. It was almost 10 years ago that the Sawchucks came to Evergreen, and I, I told them to put a picture in. Um, of my kids, because I like to remember when they were this little, easy to carry around. Uh, they were two and five and eight, and um, it was a long time ago. And I couldn't have foreseen the grace that we've experienced in the last 10 years, and I couldn't have foreseen the grief that we've experienced. And those of you who've lived any length of time, I think you can say that. Like, you look back at your life, and you couldn't have foreseen the grace, and you couldn't have foreseen the grief and you probably wouldn't have wanted to. And um, just because I don't want to assume that everybody knows our life, 
Um, and also, just to let you know, uh, Rick has heard every part of this sermon, and we share, our, we share from our life together. Um, two years ago, Rick experienced a stroke that, just, uh, that he almost died. It was very touch and go at the beginning. And then we've experienced a really long recovery. And most of you haven't had that exact experience, but most of you have experienced something that changed life in a minute and took you somewhere you didn't want to go. And the thing about those traumatic experiences is a lot of the walking happens when all of the high um, emergency is over. When you lose a loved one, you walk out that grief when the funeral's over. When you go through a medical emergency, there's lots of people around at the beginning, but the recovery takes a long, long time. And I didn't understand that before I'd walked through it. And so we've walked through these two years that were really, really challenging for us. And we've both at times felt benched. We felt like other people were moving on to different seasons of life, and we were trying to get through stuff, and we're, uh, we haven't necessarily, due to walking through the pandemic as well, seen the church be exactly where we want it. So here we are in this small town, walking through a scenario that we didn't expect and we didn't ask for. And that has been deeply challenging to both of us. But on this recent trip, I gained perspective. I came face to face with the goodness of God because I found myself receiving this grace that you can't deserve. And I found myself with enough distance, which honestly, you don't have to go to Europe for. You can just go to the beach for the day, but everyone needs to have time when they unplug from their own life to get God's perspective and to listen to him. And in that time of being able to get away and get perspective, I recognized the goodness of God that had been traveling with us through this most difficult of times because the choosing of God is not like the world chooses. The choosing of God is not like fifth grade PE where, you know, um, I, as a small girl, prayed not to be the last one chosen for kickball, and if you get chosen first, then I get chosen last. We tend to think of choosing as one person wins and one person loses. But with God, his choosing is unique to every single one of us. It's also not just you're one in one billion and God loves you. God sees you. He knows the way he created you. He knows your gifts. He loves you, and you're chosen and I'm chosen, and that doesn't take away from the fact that you're chosen. And so this sense that other people are getting ahead really has no place in the economy of knowing that we are chosen and loved by God. And so on this trip, gratefulness began to awaken me to the truth of remembering that each of us is chosen and loved by God, that I'm surrounded by his goodness with a spouse that loves me, that's walked through the fire with me, with good food and good conversation and the beauty in the world that we get to experience as we open our eyes and take another breath. It's gratefulness that is the key to reminding us that we are chosen and loved. And so we are invited also to see the future. This passage says, I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you see it? I have spent two years looking backwards. I don't know about you. But the pandemic combined with medical emergency has created this situation where I'm a business owner, I'm a pastor, 
and I'm looking at the metrics like we, we're not back to pre-pandemic levels. And, and has anyone experienced that in their own career? And then how about as a mom or as a parent? Uh, are we, <laughs> I just want things to be back to normal. I want my kids going to school every day. I want them to have sports and have joy and have play dates and do what kids are supposed to do. And so I've been looking backward wondering, when will we get back to normal? But it's run a little deeper for me as well because I have said more times than I can count, this is the way things were before Rick's stroke. I, I say it to lead into sentences, before Rick's stroke and then something else. And I recognized on this trip, I've been looking and wanting so much to go back to the past. You see, we have experienced this thing where uh, one, of the, one of the things we've walked through is that Rick is more emotional post having a brain injury. And I liked being the emotional one and him being the steady one. I didn't like switching that. So I went before Rick's stroke, when we get back to the way things are supposed to be, I want things to be normal. But God invites us to a moment. We walk through our grief. We don't short-circuit it. And grief has its own timetable takes a long time. So just because I'm talking about a turning point for me, I think we hold it out there like God invites us to a turning point, but it's not something that can rush the process. And, but for me on this trip, the Lord said to me, I want to start a new chapter. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And I had to decide, am I going to let go of stubbornly holding on to the way I wanted things to be? Or am I going to embrace the joy of what's in front of me and what this new chapter is going to look like? The transition to a new season requires time, but every season offers amazing gifts. So I told you about the whole um, emotional thing, and Rick and I have both struggled to transition to our personalities having to shift to walk in our new normal. But on our trip, we met these people that we ate a lot of meals with, and they were celebrating their 50th anniversary. We were celebrating our 20th, and one day they said to me, we just love Rick's joy and exuberance. And I was kind of apologizing for their, like, Rick feels things really strongly, and they're like, no, we don't know anyone like him. He's amazing. And I recognized that because I just wanted things to be normal, I wasn't seeing the gifts. Because more emotional also means more joy, more exuberance. And you know what brings him the most joy and exuberance? Me. And if I just keep complaining that I don't want him to be different, I can't receive the gift of a spouse that's delighting in me in a new season that may not look like the old one, but has incredible gifts that need to be embraced. And that may not be your exact story, and I, I know that some of you are dealing with losses that aren't going to come back. You know, you've lost a loved one, you've lost a marriage or a business, and that grief looks different. And I, 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 I never want to be glib, but I do know because of the resurrection of Jesus that every grief has a new season and new life on the other side. And God will invite you in the right time and the right place into the future. And so we find that we will be fruitful. As much as we thought we may never get through the difficult times, there comes a day when God says, you'll be fruitful. For you, for me, it might be time to just embrace the beautiful season ahead. And Isaiah's beautiful poem compares God's deliverance 
in the exodus to what he's doing right now. So the Jewish people were in a really difficult time, and they remembered the exodus where Moses brought them out of Egypt as the good old days when God did miracles and things were, things were good for us. And Isaiah says, remember when God made a way through the sea? He parted the sea. Remember when he brought water from the rock? There was like a fountain that came out of the rock so people could drink. He said, what's going on right now is I want you to forget about that because God is making a way through the wilderness, which means it's not just through the sea. It is a path all the way you need to go to the place that God needs to bring you. It was beyond what God did before of just opening a path through the sea, but a way all the way to the promised land. And that's what God's promising for the new season. He said, remember we brought a fountain? He brought a fountain because you were thirsty? In this new season, it's going to be rivers, not one, multiple. And so the water won't just be enough to drink, but the water will be enough to bathe in. The water, water will be enough to water your garden and make your grass green. And the water will be enough to swim in and enjoy. And the water is going to change the ecology of the wilderness that you're walking through. The point of this is that we sometimes want to go back to the good old days. But God is inviting us into a future that's fruitful. He has really good days ahead for each of us, no matter where this day finds us. On our trip, we visited Ephesus, which was the most incredible ancient city. And um, it's a little bit like Pompeii. It's frozen in time and intact. You walk down the streets and see the buildings on either side. It was a city of 300,000 people, and it's just spectacular and eerie. That's the library that had 12,000 scrolls in it. Um, it was a spectacular city, and it was abandoned. It was abandoned because it lost its life source. The water that made it a port city pulled back miles. The shore shifted, and the water pulled back miles away. And it really didn't work. It couldn't be a port city anymore, and people moved away. But what I wonder is, what would it look like if I insisted on living there? If I said, I remember... These, the thousands of years of glory that this city had, and I'm just going to stay here by myself in this old city. And I wonder if there aren't times when I dig my heels in and I want to live in the past rather than moving on to what God is doing right now in my life and in our community. Will I embrace a new chapter? When God gives us a new chapter, there are good days ahead. I believe that for each of you, no matter where you are, because I believe in the hope that's in Jesus. When God gives us a new chapter, there are good days ahead. You know, sometimes we don't have the same traveling companions. Just like you guys, our church has walked through, every church has walked through a journey during the pandemic. And we've had to say goodbye to people who weren't called to the next chapter. And I, some of you might be experiencing those losses. And those are real but we, are call, we, we have to determine our calling to the next chapter and what this community is supposed to be in its next chapter. And I believe that this community and you are supposed to be fruitful. Let's talk real quick about the difference between success and fruitfulness. Being a good American kid, I was all about success, setting goals and reaching them. And I find myself in the middle of my life having faced thick challenges that I didn't expect and didn't understand. It, weren't, it wasn't according to my life plan. And I'm having to reevaluate the fact that success, especially when we create the goals, is not guaranteed. 
But fruitfulness is what comes, it's the quiet fruit of a life that is well lived in the place that God plants you. And fruitfulness is for every single one of us. So fruitfulness is like a tree that's planted and in time it brings forth what, it's, what God created it to do. And I'm praying for myself and for you that you would be fruitful, first of all, in your homes and in your families with the people that live closest to you and know what you're really like. And then I pray that for me. I also pray that my kids would enjoy what my life tastes like. Let me put it that way. Then I pray that I would be fruitful with my neighbors, that my neighbors would enjoy what the transformation that Jesus has worked in my life, and I pray that for you. And finally, that our community would be transformed. And that, of course, looks like something that we do together. And what's amazing about Evergreen is it has such a great history of influencing and serving and loving Hillsboro and the neighborhood around it. And I know that the vision that Carlos and Ilsean have is to continue that. So you get to walk in fruitfulness that wasn't even necessarily something that any of us planted, but it's years of, of, of sowing into this community and you have fruitful days ahead. And so as we close, I want to remind you of three things. And I want to remind you that they're all true because of Jesus. You're chosen. And I know that it's not just the nation of Israel. I know that you are chosen because Ephesians says that God chose you before the foundations of the world and set his love upon you in Jesus. You are chosen. You are invited to see the future. Wherever this message finds you, and there's some difficult things right now, God is with you. He is bringing you through. There's an opportunity not to find out that you've lost him, but rather to discover that his love cannot be lost right where you are right now. And there, is, there are good days ahead. And thirdly, you're going to be fruitful because that's what happens when the Holy Spirit transforms our life. He brings good fruit. So can I pray over you? God, I, I thank you for everyone in this room and for the audience online. Lord, I, I thank you that you're trustworthy in the darkest times. It's in the dark, it's in the heat that we discover that your love cannot be lost. And Lord, if there's anyone here who has not um, surrendered their life to Christ for the first time, and today the Holy Spirit's speaking to them, the truth that they're loved and they're chosen. Um, I just want them to have the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Now, I am the only one looking around. If there's someone in the room who you feel God calling you to say, I want to give my life to Christ today, you just look up at me and I'll agree with you. Thank you. Lord, I pray for our community. I, that as, they, as it endures loss and walks through transition, what an unusual time where we've all experienced loss and transition. I pray, God, that you would allow us to be deeply planted in you and experience fruitfulness and experience the truth that your love cannot be lost. In Jesus' name, amen.